0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be examining the first eight verses of Proverbs chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that's on page 528 in the Bibles that are found under your seat. Stephen Holmesy is a 26-year-old man from our neighboring town of Winchester who has a great passion to serve others. More specifically, after a fall of... About two years ago, a fall of about 40 feet, he was hospita- hospitalized and faced the, the possibility of being immobile for the rest of his life. And so, Stephen now has a great passion to help patients and families with multiple sclerosis. He has started a nonprofit organization that he is called Steps for MS. And he's called it Steps for MS because he just started a journey back in May to walk from greater Boston, one side of our country, all the way to the other. He is now, I believe, somewhere in the southeast, maybe in Alabama, and he is making great progress on his 3,400-mile journey. Now, a simple question we might ask is, how on earth is he going to do this? I mean, granted, he's trained for this, and he's prepared, and he is, has great motivation, uh, raising, I'm sure, thousands of dollars for patients and families with MS. But, but how is, how is De- Stephen Holmesy going to make this journey? And Think about this. It's going to be one step at a time one step at a time and it's interesting that the bible often talks about and gives this metaphor for life as a path a journey that we're on and our pursuit of god and our lives are really a step by step journey And the Bible is very, very clear. The book of Proverbs, and even we read from Matthew 7 this morning, Jesus is very clear. There are either one of two paths that people will ultimately choose, ultimately take. There is, on the one hand, the path of wisdom, which leads to life. And on the other hand, there is the path of folly, filled with sin and leads to death. And so the book of Proverbs sets before us this call to follow the path of wisdom. Wisdom can be described as living life according to God's intentions. Some have said that wisdom is knowledge applied to the glory of God. So if those things are true, then we would understand that the path of folly is living not according to God's intentions, seeking our own will, our own way for our lives. And what our text is going to teach us this morning is simply this, that God calls His people to walk in wisdom that they might experience abundant life. God calls His people to walk in wisdom that they might experience the abundant life. And so what we're going to see here is that we have four specific instructions that, actually four encouragements that we're going to see, they come two verses at a time, this parallelism that the Proverbs works throughout. Number one, our first encouragement is this, to keep God's commands, and we will live the abundant life. Keep God's commands, and you will live the abundant life let's read these first two verses of proverbs chapter three check this out it says this solomon writing says my son do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you you see solomon was the king of israel He was the son of Israel's greatest king, King David. And Solomon here is teaching his son what it means to rule well, to live life well. He's preparing him to be the next king. And so Solomon would say, look, a first step that you need to take in living a life of wisdom is to live life according to God's commands. He says in this verse, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now think about this. Solomon, these instructions that we find all throughout the book of Proverbs would have been based upon the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the law that Israel lived by. And so we can understand Solomon here to be saying, look, live according to God's word. This was the Bible as they knew it. And we would be wise to take God's commands and keep God's commands in our own life. I want to give you a framework for how to, to go about this. And we see it even in our text. Uh, there, there's a three step process that I think should be just a regular part, they should be woven into the fabric of any believer in Christ's life. Number one, we must know the Word. Know the Word. So so let me ask you, do you regularly expose yourself to God's Word? Do you take time each day to hear from God in His Word, to to read His Word, to study His Word, to meditate on His Word, to memorize His Word? Do you delight even now, even when the preachers may not be all-stars like John and I? Do you even delight to hear from God's Word when we gather on Sunday morning? See, the people of God must know his word. But listen to this. It's not enough to know God's word. We must also apply God's word. We need to apply the word. This is is what Solomon says. He says, let your heart keep my commandments. This word keep here is a a strong word. It, it, It means to guard or to watch over intently with the purpose of obeying, putting it into practice. So many times, if we're being honest, we view God's commands as a burden, do we not? I mean, so many people, perhaps some of you here this morning, maybe you're new to Christianity, you had the idea running through your mind that God is a cosmic killjoy. And he gives us all these commands to almost uh, put us in like a straitjacket. As if he is out to rob our joy. God is not out to rob our joy. God gives us his commands to give us joy. This is why John would write in 1 John 5.3, he says, look, and this is love for God, to keep his commands. And what about these commands? These commands are not burdensome. So the book of Proverbs teaches us to keep God's commands and keep them in a particular way. It says, look, to, to let your heart keep my commandments. In other words, there is this assumption, and it is exposed time and time again, especially in the Gospels, that we can look really good on the outside. And yet, on the inside, we can be a wreck. So God says, look, keep my commands, keep them from your heart. Apply the word. And here's the beautiful thing about Proverbs. I mean, some people will take a proverb a day and just read it for all the, the days on the, on, the, on the calendar for the month. It's a great way to approach the Word, to get it in a chapter a day. But, but listen, the, the, the Proverbs is a book of commands filled with wisdom that teaches us how to be faithful in the little things of life. Remember, life is like a step-by-step journey. And so, when you read the book of Proverbs, you're going to see Solomon say, Son, watch your mouth. Death and life are held in the power of the tongue. He's going to say, Son, listen to your mom. Okay, that's for all you children out there and for you mothers, too. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So, kids, you need to know Proverbs 1, 8 this morning okay listen to your dad and your mom what else son when no one else is looking be a man of integrity and when you come across that poor person have regard for the poor for whoever mocks the poor insults his maker proverbs 17 verse 5 he'll tell them truths like this son choose your friends wisely whoever walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 1320. And here here's one more. Just the details of life. Son, practice self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 2825. I mean we don't have time to get into pride and lust and worry and hope and laziness, and gluttony. The Proverbs are filled with just simple, practical instructions that teach us how to live life step by step by step. And so we must know the Word. We must apply God's Word. But then, thirdly, it's not enough just to know His Word and apply His Word if we aren't spreading His Word. You note in these first few words that He says, My son, do not forget my teaching." I mean, what's one way not to forget his teaching? What's one way to remember his teaching? It's to share it with one another, right? I mean, how often do you, let's be honest, in our Christian life, we expose ourselves to the word, and then man, in the in the daily grind, it's just difficult to take what we know and apply it, right? So the maturing believer will take what we know and we will apply it and live a life of wisdom. But but then if, if most of us can kind of go from point A to point B, then a lot of us just stop at point B. But God is calling us to share his word, to spread his word, that others might know what it means to walk the path of wisdom. Someone asked this question that I find very, very helpful and very, very convicting. He asked this question. David Platt said, does the word of God stop with you? Or does the word of God spread through you? The goal is that the word of God, by the way we live our life and by the words that we speak, that the word of God would spread through us. And so what happens when we live according to God's word, when we keep his commandments for the, from the heart? Check out verse 2. He says, For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Well, let me just teach you a quick lesson when it comes to reading the Bible. Being a good student of the Bible is all about making the right observations. So what you're going to see as we study through this eight verses, is that all of the odd verses have instruction for us to keep, commands for us to keep. But then all the even verses, two, four, six and eight they have promises or rewards or motivations for us to fulfill these truths. And so he says here, length of days and years and life and peace they will add to you. I think that that generally, the Proverbs are general truths. They aren't necessarily true if we press them down. They're not true in every circumstance of life, but they're general truths that we can apply and know that they're consistent. This is how God has made his world. And so you say, what are you saying? I'm saying that I think this truth has both physical and spiritual ramifications. Think about it. As we live according to God's word, we're going to live a life that is flourishing as we follow him. This reflects what Jesus says in John 10. 10. He says, look, the thief comes, Satan, the devil, comes to still kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Again, Christianity is not a religion that is divorced from joy and abundant life. So many times, so many believers even view abundant life, a fulfilling, a flourishing life, a satisfied life as something that is kind of the icing on the cake of Christianity. And Jesus says, and Solomon says, look, it's not the icing on the cake, it's the cake it's the substance of the whole. Joy, abundant life should flavor everything about the Christian life. And so the path of wisdom calls us to keep God's commands from the heart that we might experience abundant life. But the path of wisdom also encourages us in verses 3 and 4 to grow in favor with God and man by living a life of love and steadfast and faithfulness. Grow in favor with God and man by living a life of love and faithfulness. Check out verses 3 and 4. He says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We have two covenantal terms in verse 3. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love is a love that doesn't quit. It's persevering love. It's love of industrial strength. It's what Paul refers to at the end of his letter to the Ephesians when he says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, or some translations say a love incorruptible to have steadfast love is a godlike love it perseveres faithfulness is essentially that which can be relied upon so when people look at your life do they see someone who is consistent someone who is faithful someone who is reliable cuz this is the person that god is after god looks for faithful men and faithful women those who are loyal to his plan and his will even when it's not convenient even when it's difficult and let me just add this this says as a leadership team this is who we're looking for at redemption hill we're looking for faithful men and women who can help us and many of you are or you will be helping us as a church we're all in this thing together helping us fulfill the mission of God. And so, steadfast love, faithfulness. What are we to do with these? I love the picture here. The Proverbs are so rich with imagery. It says to bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Let me tell you a story from my youth you might find somewhat amusing to give you a picture of this. Back when I was in middle school, me and my boys, you know, we, we were pretty cool. So, the cool thing back in the day was to get gold chains. All right. Why are you laughing? That's not funny. It was cool. It was cool. All right. I'm not. I'm not talking about like you know five or six like Run DMC here. I'm just. I'm just saying you know one gold chain. And then the cool thing to do was to get something that represented your life. And so being a basketball player, my father. Many of you know my father's a high school basketball coach. I coach basketball at Medford High now. Uh, Being a basketball player, I had a basketball gold charm that I would wear on my rope necklace, gold chain, I'm sorry, not necklace, that was wrong, chain, and I had a basketball player that I hung on my gold chain, and then also one year for my birthday, this was the smoothest charm of them all, I got the number 20. Because that was my number in basketball. And so, whenever I was walking the halls of the school, everyone knew what Tanner was about. I was about basketball. That was, in many ways, my life as a middle school kid. And so, in a much greater way, and in a much more significant and undying way, we are to bind these characteristics around our lives we to wear steadfast love and faithfulness. The, the, the idea is that these would be uh, permanently visible qualities, characteristics about our lives. He says it another way, to write them on the tablet of your heart. We might say in our day to tattoo these on our heart. Steadfast love, a love for God, a love for others. A love for those who don't know Christ. And faithfulness, consistency in our pursuit of God. And let me just throw out a bit of a warning and an encouragement this morning. If you do not know the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God... Personally, not just kind of have heard about it, but if you've not experienced it, this great salvation that's in Christ, it will be impossible for you to display these qualities. Again, John would write in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Now, what's the big deal about binding steadfast love and faithfulness around our neck and tattooing them on our hearts. Well, verse 4 has some major ramifications. It says, So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You see, this is, this is just comprehensive here. He says, when we have these characteristics on our life, our, the two greatest, most important relationships in life are, should be straightened out should be taken care of. Number one, our relationship with God, the vertical dimension of life. You'll win good favor and success in the sight of God and then the horizontal relationships and man. And if you've read the Gospel of Luke lately, you know this is so good that in chapter two of Luke, when it's talking about Jesus as a young boy, what does it say? It says that he grew in wisdom and stature and had favor with both God and man. This is the life that we have to pursue. When we bind steadfast love, faithfulness around our lives, when we wear these qualities, you're going to experience favor with both God and man. Number three, verses five and six, teach us that we should trust the Lord with an all-encompassing commitment trust the Lord with an all-encompassing commitment. He says in verse 5, trust in the Lord. You may know these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Has anyone, let me just see by show of hands, has anyone ever memorized these verses before? Many of us. These are some of the most famous verses in the Bible. And they have so much wisdom for us on what it means to live a life of faith and trust in God. We see three instructions, three ways that we should trust here that Solomon gives. Number one, we are to trust the Lord entirely. Do you see that he says, trust the Lord with all of your heart? This refers to throwing ourselves upon God with reckless abandon, to have no reservation in our trust, to completely trust God. It is the picture of a baseball game, all right? I mean, we're in the the heat of summer. It's the pennant race. You guys know I love the Red Sox. And so think about this. It is... We'll say October. And we'll say it's the American League Championship Series. We'll say that it's the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees and the Red Sox are tied in the bottom of the ninth. Our man, the former MVP, Dustin Pedroia, has just doubled down the left field line, so he stands on second base. Now our multi-hundreds-of-million-dollar man, Adrian Gonzalez, comes up. Agon and instead of smashing one over the wall, which he probably will do in October, he hits an uncharacteristic blooper over the second baseman's ha- head in front of the right fielder. So while all eyes are on Gonzalez, what, who is the most important person on the field at this point? It's Pedroya, right? Why? Because he is the potential winning run. Can you see him? He's rounding third. His cleats are throwing up grass and dirt behind him and as the throw is coming into the plate what does Pedroia do he takes his lunge and he puts both arms out and totally dives for home plate. it's an all-out commitment he is leaving nothing behind no reservation and this is what Solomon is saying here this is the kind of trust that we're to have This is the kind of trust that we're to strive for, even when we struggle. Listen, we'll struggle with doubt. It's okay, even as a believer. There are going to be times when we struggle with doubt. But we are to have this kind of trust, an all-out commitment, an entire commitment to trust the Lord. And then number two, this this next phrase, we see it says to do not lean on your own understanding. Here we see not only to trust the Lord entirely, but to trust the Lord exclusively. True faith is faith in Christ alone. When we lean on our own understanding, it is the antithesis to trusting in the Lord. We are so prone, we are so conditioned to trust ourselves, to think that we have the resources to accomplish God's will in our own strength, or that we know what is best. And so we just kind of disregard God and his will for our life, and we just kind of barrel down our own path, which is the path of folly. And in this picture of leaning, I want you to think about a wooden crutch, but not just a wooden crutch, a wooden crutch that has been infested with termites. What happens when you lean on that crutch? It's going to crumble. And when we fail to lean on Christ, trust in Him exclusively, not in our own selves, we'll find that other solutions besides Him, they're going to crumble. And so we're to trust the Lord entirely. We're to trust the Lord exclusively. And and then thirdly, we're to trust the Lord exhaustively. I love this. It says, in all of your ways, verse 6, in all of your ways, acknowledge him when the text says to acknowledge him it's, it's a simple and profound way of saying know him in all your ways know him so think about your week when you're sitting in traffic know him when you're having that important or not so important conversation with a friend know him when you're struggling with a family member or a coworker who is just straight up getting on your nerves, know him. And, and what, is a, what is a way? What, how can we be about this task of knowing God in all circumstances of life? I'll, I'll tell you one secret is this. One key that unlocks this, the, this, this door of knowing God in all of our ways is prayer. In every situation, it's always the right time to pray. Before you take that exam, before you punch the time clock, before you sit down to eat a meal, before you hit the pillow at night, to pray and to lean on God and to trust Him entirely. The second way is, of course, to know His Word. How do we know Him in all of our ways to know His Word, to be familiar with His Word and to live it out? And so the path of wisdom calls us to trust the Lord with all of our heart. And then finally, here's here's our fourth encouragement here this morning. Fear the Lord and pursue holiness with great humility. Fear the Lord and pursue holiness with great humility. You see, I believe that humility is the key to fulfilling these three commands that we find in verses 7-7. And eight, actually, in just in verse seven. Look at, look at verse seven. It says, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. So there, there are three instructions, then they're all tied together with this with this characteristic of humility. He says, first, don't be wise in your own eyes. This is the warning to the know-it-all. This is the warning to the person who thinks they have it all together, who has a higher view of themselves than they ought. I love what Tim Keller says about this verse. He says, if you don't think you are a fool, you're a fool. But when you see your own foolishness, you're barreling down the path of wisdom. To put that another way, those who know they are fools apart from God's grace are the ones who are wise, and those who think they are wise are really fools. Do you get that? It's having a humble view of ourselves, not being wise in our own eyes. Wisdom comes from God, and it also comes in in the community of faith. That's where wisdom is found. Number two, he says, not only to not be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord. This is one of the most important truths in the Bible. It is the foundational truth of the book of Proverbs. Fear the Lord. Some have called it... The fear of the Lord, the motto of the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs has much to say about the fear of the Lord. Check out these verses here on the fear of the Lord in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And then Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Satisfied. Do you fear God? Some people think to the fear of the Lord is to be afraid of God. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. To fear God. Let me give you a definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord involves a disposition of humility and reverential awe before our holy God, which leads to wisdom. It's a disposition of humility and reverential awe before our holy God, which leads to wisdom. And so the key words here, the sense of reverential awe, this deep respect that we would see God for who he is and live in the light of his greatness and his glory, all of his perfections. When we see God clearly, we will start to understand what it means to fear him. Then finally, how are we to continue with this life of humility and and not be wise in our own eyes to fear the Lord and to turn away from evil? Well, this is... A last truth in verse 7 that I want us to just think about here. This, this idea of turning away from evil. The, the, the picture is clear. We, when we are tempted to give in to the evil path, we are simply to depart, to turn away, to run, to flee from that which tempts us. John Owen is a great Puritan pastor from the 17th century. He has this famous quote. He says, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. So we have to actively pursue defeating sin, killing sin in our life. And you say, What, to turn away from evil, to turn and to run, to flee, to get out of there? That, that seems so cowardly, Tanner. No, it's not. It's wise. It's the wise thing to do. We do this by the power of God's Spirit that lives within us. Romans 8.13 says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the the body, you will live. And so again, this, this idea of grace runs all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout even this passage. How do we turn away from evil? We depend on God. We depend on His Spirit to give us the grace to turn away from evil and to fear God and keep His commands. So as we close, I want you to think about this. The Bible from beginning to end sets forth the path of wisdom and the path of folly. We know that it was in the garden, that it was through the path of folly that sin and death entered into our world. Adam and Eve willfully rebelled against God. They chose to disobey God's commands, and from that moment, the curse has been upon us. But it was not just their decision. It is still our decision today. We all have chosen the path of folly. We've all turned aside. We've all turned away. The Bible is clear. It says we've all sinned against God. We haven't respected His holiness, His glory, His commands, and we have chosen our own path. And that path is leading us down the path of death. And so what are we to do? How can we be brought back and experience the path of life? How can we then walk the path of wisdom? Well, this is the awesome truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, Who is, the scriptures say, the very wisdom of God? Came and he lived a perfect life. That means he always chose the path of wisdom. That all who believe in him and trust in him and trust in his finished work through the cross might also join him on the path of wisdom, which leads to life. And so let me ask you this morning have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God? Have you trusted him as your Lord and King and Savior and God? Because it's only through Christ, it's only through knowing him, that we can live life according to God's intentions and live a life that glorifies God let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your great grace that enables us to see you and to choose to walk in your ways, to keep your commands, to bind steadfast love and faithfulness on our hearts, to trust in you with everything we have, and to fear you above all else, that we might experience abundant life. Lord, it is my prayer and trust it's our prayer this morning that we as a church would walk the path of wisdom. And Lord that as we do that your word would not stop with us but it would spread through us and that we might invite all of those around us all of those in this community the surrounding communities greater boston to join us on this path of wisdom through your son jesus christ. We pray in his name. Amen.